If you have your Bibles, then let's turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We'll read the first eight verses today. And with nothing by way of introduction beforehand, we just want to read these verses and then ask the Lord to bless them uh, in our hearts and minds to understand, to reckon with them, and to place our lives alongside them, and to learn from them what God would have us to learn. Beginning in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The title for the message today is The Unexpected Gospel of Christ. The Unexpected Gospel of Christ. As you know, Israel was expecting an earthly king as they were looking for and anticipating the Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah who would come and overthrow the Romans, one who would establish again the earthly kingdom of Israel, one who would confirm to the whole world but the earthly nation of Israel was God's nation on the earth. That's what they were looking for. We know now, and perhaps should have, were we alive then, should have known then, but we, we certainly know now that those expectations were misinformed. They were not correct expectations. In fact, the coming of Christ seems to be in almost every way unexpected, though expected. Unexpected in the character and in the nature and how it came about, but expected in that it would. Jesus did not establish an earthly nation of Israel once again. He did not ride into Rome at the head of a great army and overthrow Caesar and overthrow the Roman powers of the day. He did not throw Pilate out of Jerusalem. He did not establish the high priest again in the temple in the way that it had been in the Old Testament. He did not restore all of the things that in the mind of an Israelite at the time the Messiah was supposed to reestablish. In fact, 
Far from establishing Israel as God's nation on the earth, Jesus preached a message that all men had the opportunity to become a child of God. Far from what an Israelite mind would have been expecting to hear the Messiah say. Israel expected not only this, but they expected the Messiah, no doubt, to operate from Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, the place from which surely any king of Israel would rule. Surely not from Nazareth. But again, we know now that their expectations were wrong and misplaced. Israel's as a nation. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Just outside of Jerusalem, yes, but he grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was a far distance from the place of power and influence that Jerusalem was, and just about, again, the last place that anyone was expecting the Messiah to come from. Now, you might be wondering, what does this have anything to do with me? I'm not an Israelite 2,000 years ago. I'm not one who is a Jew and expecting and anticipating an earthly Messiah to come and to establish an earthly kingdom here on the earth. What does this have to do with me, a Gentile, in 2022, nearly 2023? What does this have to do with you and me? I think it has everything to do with you and everything to do with me. Because our expectations are powerful things. Our expectations are powerful things. I don't know what you came here today expecting. Whether it was nothing or something or something great. I don't know what you came here expecting. But I can say to you that your expectations of this time here today holds a great power over you. And it held a great power over Israel. What they expected of the Messiah is not what they should have been expecting. Jesus born and, and, ra and then raised so far away from Jerusalem. For anyone here today that's been raised in a Christian home and taught the Bible, these things about Christ are well known. You know this. You, you, you know the story of how Jesus was born in a manger. Born of a virgin and born in a place of great obscurity. And apart from a few wise men and some shepherds, the world just went on about their lives unaware and unknowing that the very Son of God had just come into the world. Unaware of this. For those of us who've been raised in church and taught the Bible, we know these things. And so it's not as, it's, it's hard for us, I think, to fully Grapple with the depth of the surprise and the unexpected nature of the gospel of Christ that it was for those in Israel. They were not expecting this to happen the way it did. You and I know this. But everything about Christ to the Israelites and to those of his day, it seems like everything about him was unexpected. His birth, unexpected. His parentage. Unexpected in every sense of the term. His followers, those who would become his right hand men, those women who would follow him, his followers, even primarily his closest followers, 
a bunch of fishermen. Unexpected. Surely the king of Israel would have attracted the elite in the land. But his followers were unexpected. His message? Almost definitely unexpected. Not what people were expecting the Messiah to say. His actions? Unexpected. Working, quote unquote, healing on the Sabbath day, doing what he did, uh, corroborating with and spending time with and, and breaking bread with and eating with sinners and publicans and, and his behavior as the son of God, this Messiah that had been pro proclaimed for, for thousands of years and then for 400 years as that time of silence between the Old and New Testament, as Israel was looking for the Messiah. This Messiah that was in their mind and in their heart was not at all the Messiah that Jesus actually was. Not the way he was acting. It's not what they were expecting, his death. Well, certainly unexpected. No one anticipated that the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, that the prophets of the Old Testament had talked about, the king, capital K of kings, and Lord, capital L of lords, would die on a cross? Unexpected. His resurrection? Unexpected. Nothing seemed to happen like the people expected it to happen. And again, I ask, what does this have to do with you and me? And I say again, to you, misinformed expectations have a powerful effect on what you experience. Resulting, if we have a misunderstood expectations, that frequently results in misunderstanding. And if you misunderstand or if you have misaligned expectations, misinformed expectations about Christ and about salvation, about following him in this life, if your expectations are off, that frequently leads to a misunderstanding of salvation of the Christian life. The great danger of misinformed expectations is that they can get in the way of you seeing what's actually right in front of you, but you can't see it. I tried to think of an example and an analogy, and I couldn't think of a very good one. But the only thing I thought of is if someone said that they were coming to pick you up at the airport and they, you didn't know them very well, and they said, I'm going to be driving a red car. And they showed up in a blue car. They could be right there in front of you, and you've got no idea that they're there because you're looking for a red car. Your expectations of what you're looking for, it immediately informs your mind of what to look for and what to see. And in the, in the, when Jesus came into the world, people's minds and their understanding of what the Messiah was going to be, what he was going to do, where he would be born, what his actions would be, that he was going to restore Israel. All of these expectations, they, they all mounted up in their mind and heart. And, and Jesus, the very son of God, was right in front of them and they didn't see him. I would say to you and to me, this is what it has to do with you. 
Israel's expectations kept them from seeing the very Son of God, though he walked in front of them, spoke to them, worked among them. I wonder if any of us here today or elsewhere might be missing Christ, missing the gospel because of misinformed expectations. Expectations that color the page the wrong color. Expectations that get your thoughts thinking down a path that's the wrong path. I wonder if there's anyone who's had wrong expectations about Christ and they've missed him as a result. I wonder if those of us who know him and and, and have a desire to follow him and want to please him, I wonder if even in our our hearts and minds, we have some misinformed expectations that cloud our ability or that that hinder our ability, I should say, to follow him because he's going where we don't expect him to go. He's telling us what we don't expect him to tell us. He's taking from us what we don't expect him to take, and he's giving to us what we don't expect him to give. And because we don't expect these things, we miss them. We, we discount them. We discredit them. We, we set them aside. We're committed in a sense. We're convinced if we know him. We're, we're willing to obey, but we're suffering from misinformed expectations about what the Christian life is. And I'll tell you today, there's a lot of people that will peddle lies to you to tell you and to set your expectations in the wrong place. And do you know, do you know what leads to disappointment? and stress, and frustration, nothing leads to those things as much or in the same way as as unsatisfied, unmet expectations. So what is your expectation of the gospel? What are you expecting Christ to do and to be? This is why reading the scripture is essential. Because God has told us who he is, He's told us who you are, who I am. He's told us what to expect from this life. And yet somehow we allow our expectations to change and be informed by things other than the word of God. And our expectations are are misaligned. And, And indeed, the very gospel itself becomes unexpected in our life. Perhaps, perhaps you or I, perhaps we're like Peter and the rest of the apostles were confused and confounded when Jesus told them that he was going to be betrayed by one of them. He's going to be turned over to Rome. He's going to die on a cross. He's going to be resurrected again. Maybe you're like them. And maybe, maybe at times you're even so bold as Peter to rebuke God for trying to set your expectations where they ought to be, where they are going to actually be. Your expectations are powerful powerful things. They have the ability to completely throw you off track when it comes to finding and following Christ. And I think we see this in these first eight verses of of the Gospel of Mark. Where, well, in verse four, it says that John appeared, that is John the Baptist, baptizing in the wilderness. Well, as I read that and thought about it and prayed and tried to find God's will for our thought today or his 
to understand his thoughts, to present to you. That, that idea that he was in the wilderness struck me. The wilderness? Why the wilderness? Why would John the Baptist, the one who was sent to prepare the way for the very Son of God, why would he have not set up shop at the temple? At least in Jerusalem somewhere. But no, he's out in the wilderness. Unexpected. It's not where anyone would have expected to have heard from the preparer, the one who would come and go before the Messiah. And the word wilderness here, it, it means a largely uninhabited region. Another way to translate it is a desolate place. We think wilderness in our Western minds, and we typically think of a, of a big forest and with rivers and streams, but really what this is more referring to is a desolate place, more like the desert, out in, the, in a desolate place. That's where John the Baptist was. Well, that's not expected. John did not do his work in the temple, as I said, at Jerusalem. Instead, he did his preaching here in a desolate place, out in the wilderness. Now, unexpected, but there's some certain advantages to being out in the wilderness to present the gospel, isn't there? There's a certain distraction that I'm, I'm just going to put it under the heading of the city creates. There's a certain distraction to our lives that gets finally and ultimately stripped away from us when we find ourselves in the wilderness, the desolate place. And it's in the desolate place that many of our expectations are finally set aside because we can deal with what's real and we can put away with what's distraction. But John the Baptist out here in the wilderness, there's some advantages that he found here. There's, as I said, a kind of deadly distraction to the city. We have our friends and we have our families. We have school events. We have sporting events. We have our habits, our hobbies. We have all kinds of things to distract us. We've got places to go to eat. We've got, we've got things to occupy our time. All these things can distract you, distract me, from hearing the gospel of Christ, from understanding the gospel of Christ, and from following the gospel of Christ. They distract us from what is really essential in life, the wilderness, though, has a way of, as I said, stripping all of that away from us. The wilderness does not offer entertainments. The wilderness does not provide for your comfort. Out in the wilderness, you are away from comfort. And John the Baptist took full advantage of the absence of the distraction of the hustle and the bustle of the city and the comforts that are found there, the soft pillows at home in beds. He took and the people were out there in the wilderness. The wilderness reminds us that there are only a few things that are truly necessary to sustain life. When you get out in a wilderness, you realize there are only a few things. And it's not entertainment. It's not comfort even. It's not any of these things. In fact, if you really boil it down, it's food, water, and shelter. That's what you need. But in the city, in our lives, in our, the busyness of our lives, we get distracted. And, and so it's good. It's good for us to find ourselves at times in the wilderness. And, and I pray that today you might find yourself spiritually mentally, emotionally, inwardly in this wilderness where John the Baptist, you'd find him preaching the gospel of Christ. 
away from the distractions of the world. Whatever you brought in with you, please set it aside for now. It'll be there when we leave. It will. But what could be different is the state of your eternal soul. And whatever other problems that we as God's children have, let's set them aside for just a moment too. They'll be there too. But what could be different is that we set out taking our first step on a new path that Christ has given to us to follow if as long as we don't have our expectations set in such a way that blinds us to the path. Get out into the wilderness. I know it's not comfortable. I know it's not home. I know it doesn't come with all the entertainments of the city, but get out into the wilderness with God where you'll hear from him. God often comes to us, does he not, in the wilderness, in the desolate place, in the empty place where there's just the sound of the wind in our minds. No other person, no other distraction. Often that's when God comes. That's why you need to find your closet in prayer. That's why you need to find alone time in prayer. Because in that wilderness, in that desolate place where those distractions are set aside, your expectations can be corrected if you've got wrong ones. God comes to us in the wilderness because it is there that we see what we might not ever otherwise see. As we enjoy the company of our friends and the distractions of the world and the entertainments that it provides and the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and the sin that easily besets us, it all works and it chisels away in our mind and our heart and it chisels this, this stone, this statue of expectation that we live our lives by and we've built and chiseled a, a statue that's completely misrepresentative of what we're supposed to be expecting in our life. When you see the world for what it is, when you see this life for what it is, it's a wilderness. It's a desolate place. And I, that sounds negative. I know it does. I, I, don't, I don't want to sound negative just to be negative I, because I've, Sometimes I think we're, we're afraid to point out the true that, that does have a, a, a tone of negativity to it to miss the greater promise and hope that's found in Christ. When you see this world for what it is, it's a desolate place. Now, now perhaps you're young and life has not hit you across the head yet with too much, too much struggle and life has been very easy for you. And I'm afraid that this is true for so so many uh, that live in this part of the world and the, the blessing that we have of the prosperity that we have. Our problems, um, I, I'm sorry, they're, they're problems, they're real. But, but maybe you're young and, and you've, got, you've got hopes here that are anchored in this life. And, and maybe there's this mirage that is building in your mind and heart while you're walking around in a desert, in a desolate place. It's, it's a mirage. It looks like it's there. It looks like there's water there. There's rest. There's lasting comfort. But as you walk toward it, as your life progresses, as the days turn into weeks and months and years and then decades, as you continue to try to find this mirage, this thing you think is out there in this world, when it isn't, as you walk toward it, one of two things is going to happen to that mirage in your life. 
Your expectations of what you're going to find there as it drives you in your life to go after that thing that you think is going to, su- to supply your your purpose, your job, your relationships, all, all of these things, money, uh, ease and comfort. As you walk after them, fame, uh, fortune, whatever it is, one of two things is going to happen as you walk toward it. It moves as you move. As you walk. And you walk for a day's journey and it's right there. And you think, I think I can get there in a couple of two or three days. That's about as far as it looks. And you walk for a day. And then you wake up in the morning and you know how far that thing looks. It That looks like it's still two to three days away. Well, I must have just misjudged, you'll think. Must have just misjudged this. I'll, I'll get up in the morning and I'll. It's it's there. I know it's there. I just I believe it. People are telling me all about it. That riches in this life. That's where it's at. That that fulfillment here and comfort here is what life is all about. And being quote unquote happy here is what we're supposed to be after. It's there. It, I just misjudged the distance. I haven't worked hard enough yet. I, I I haven't been smart enough yet. I don't have the right connections or friends yet. I'll I'll get up in the morning and, and I'll I'll. Do another day and it'll be closer. And you, you get up the next morning and, and you walk closer or you walk and, and it's, it's just laser focused. You see it. You're, you're walking after it and, and you, you go to bed and you wake up the next morning and you look at that thing and that, that thing's still two to three days away. How? That thing, that mirage is just going to keep moving. And it's going to keep moving until you're a hundred years old. Or this is going to happen. It's just going to disappear on you one day. You're going to wake up one day in that mirage, that place, that happiness in this world that you thought was there. You're going to wake up one day and for whatever reason, a sandstorm comes through, something happens and all of a sudden you can't even see the mirage. Your expectations were off. You expected this life to give you what it cannot give you. It just disappears suddenly. Just when you thought you would arrive, just when you think it's just over that next horizon, it's just right there. I'm almost there. And you crest that hill and nothing. But I would say to you now, don't be discouraged if this is you. You have learned a valuable lesson. If you have experienced this in your life, You have learned a valuable lesson, an eternally valuable lesson. That is this. There's nothing in this world that is going to provide for what I need to fulfill my heart's desire for the reason that I've been given life. You've been given a great dose of reality. And the good news is even more There's a guy like John the Baptist out there in the wilderness proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ just where you need him to be. So maybe your expectations when you came here today were that you just go through the motions and that we would just have church and service and and the preacher would go on for a little while, often too long, and then we'll finally be able to leave. But maybe today, maybe today, your expectations will be corrected. You'll find yourself out here in the wilderness, ready now maybe to hear from John the Baptist and what he has to say. And we often, as I said, often have our expectations of where and when God will come to us. 
And those expectations are often equally wrong. We, we think it's just going to be at church, and certainly it might be. I hope that it is. I hope God is reaching out to you right now. I hope that expectation of yours is, is not such that God is not going to reach out to you here because maybe you've been here time and time and time again and you've come in the doors and you've left the doors in your mind and in your estimation unchanged, unaffected, unimpacted. And so your expect expectation as you came here today was just another Sunday. I want to ask you here today, sincerely with all of my heart, to ask you to, to examine those expectations and to realize that we're sitting, all of us, in a desolate place, a wilderness of this life, but there's one who's proclaiming the gospel. I pray ultimately it's the Spirit of God proclaiming the gospel to your heart, resetting your expectations, whatever you might have come in with. Don't be discouraged. You've learned a valuable lesson here, and now you can hear and, what, and understand what God might have to say to you today. We don't expect, though, God sometimes to speak to us in other places, do we? At work, school, with friends. Sometimes we're surprised when he does. And he shatters our expectations, and that's a good thing. But sometimes our expectations are so solidly set that we miss it, even when he does try to reach out. Because we're so set in our expectations we can be surprised when God comes to us, not just where. We think it will be only when we are thinking of him. And again, often it is. But often it it is, is it not? Have you not ever had God prompt you just what you would feel like out of the blue? Unexpected. I know when I was saved, 11 years old, thinking all was fine surrounded by my friends at a week-long camp that I loved to go to, away from home with people that were friendly and activities that were fun, friends from other, other towns that I only got to see every now and again. I, I, but unexpectedly, the Spirit of God convicted me out in the wilderness, and I didn't even know it. I thought I was in the, just the best place ever. And all of a sudden, I was in a lost place. God does that. He reaches out to us, and we ought to be ever thankful that he does. But we can be surprised. Our expectations can be surprised. I pray that that's today. If your expectations were this, God's not going to speak to me today. I pray your expectations are frustrated today. I pray that you find them to be incorrect and that God is speaking to you. Now, not only is it an unexpected place that I find here in, in the sixth verse, we read this. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Unexpected place for sure. And unexpected messenger. Oh, yeah. This was a very strange, strange man in our estimation. Out in the wilderness, clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt. Around his waist, he ate locusts and wild honey as his diet. John, the Baptist, was not the person you would expect to have had such a powerful impact on the people. You just wouldn't have, not originally. Now, I know that the circumstances around John the Baptist's birth would have been such that many would have wondered about this child. He, he's got a special place, it seems, 
in the plan of God. And those who knew uh, um, John and his family and his parents and Zacharias as he was he was struck dumb there for a while until uh, that point where he said his name is John. And we know the circumstances around John the Baptist's birth and how he left in the womb when Mary, the mother of Jesus, came. We know that there's something. But again, I think that that was pr- that must have surely been a relatively speaking small number of people. Everyone else, he's just a crazy man out there in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey and proclaiming a message. Unexpected messenger. John was not impressive by worldly standards. And sometimes the gospel of Christ comes to us in an unexpected way because it comes to us through an unexpected messenger. It's God's message. But he chooses this messenger, and to you and to me, maybe they don't meet the standard that we think they ought to meet. John was not rich, not by any stretch of the imagination. Many of the most influential rabbis and scribes and Pharisees back in in the city, they were pretty well off. John wasn't. He didn't look the part. Today, I think many false prophets are attractive to people because they are rich. I think that instills in their mind this expectation that if I follow the advice of this person, that I'm going to likewise become rich. I'm going to be benefited by his wisdom and his knowledge. Many false prophets attract people through that opulence and that wealth. These people, though, that they are taking advantage of, excuse me, they don't realize that that false prophet is rich, not because God has blessed him, or because he's figured out some secret of life, but because he's nothing more than a con man. Taking your money from your pocket and putting it into his own and building his own wealth while he takes yours away. But sometimes people are attracted by that outward manifestation of wealth. Well, John was not such a person. This was an unexpected messenger. He was not in a position of earthly influence. He did not have the power and authority to make any changes in Israel. No one would have recognized his authority if he came through and and changed laws. The rabbis, the scribes, the Pharisees, they, they were in a position to influence people's behavior. So John the Baptist, he's an unexpected messenger. His clothes didn't impress. His lifestyle didn't impress. His diet didn't impress. The average Israelite, I think, would have expected the high priest or at least someone acknowledged by the high priest to be the one who would come and proclaim the coming of Christ. But that's not at all how it happened. It was unexpected. And this can happen to you and me. God comes to us in unexpected places. And he comes to us through unexpected messengers. But the important thing is, is God coming to us? Is he speaking? It doesn't matter where so much. It doesn't matter through whom so much. It matters. Is he speaking? And if he is speaking, then the next most important question, am I listening? Am I allowing my expectations to prevent me from hearing from God? Am I allowing my expectations to prevent me from hearing from God? Don't miss what God is trying to say to you because the messenger he might be using to say it is someone you would not expect to hear it from. 
And finally, unexpected place, the wilderness, unexpected messenger himself, John, and most clearly an unexpected message. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A very different message, very different indeed, than the one proclaimed by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, indeed anyone else. This was a, this was a different message. This was an unexpected message. For a Jew, an Israelite in this day, they were one of God's people because they were a Jew. That was this one and the same thing. It was that simple. They had the genealogies and the family connections to prove it. I am a member of this family of the tribe of Benjamin. And so therefore I am an Israelite. And therefore because I am an Israelite, I am a child of God. And because I'm a child of God, I am going to eternally be well and be with God. Because I'm an Israelite. And here comes John the Baptist preaching this message in this unexpected place. Through this unexpected messenger, no, 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 it doesn't count for a thing. Your genealogy. What I'm preaching to you, John the Baptist says to everybody who had gathered along that riverside to hear him preach, repentance, repentance, repentance for sin. That was his message. The message that he gave was repentance. Many in Israel missed salvation because their expectations were that they didn't need to repent. They were, after all, Israelites. The idea of repenting for sin in order to be right with God was not a message that they were expecting to hear. Maybe it's not the message you are expecting to hear. Not really. You know the words. You know what they mean in it to a degree. But your expectation is that you're going to be able to dance around it somehow and still satisfy the law of God, and you won't. Your expectations are wrong. The idea of repenting for sin, unexpected to them, unexpected to many today. They think God has accepted them because they've gone to church all their lives. They were raised in a home that identified as Christians, and and they know much even about the Christian faith and about about Jesus historically and even biblically. They can tell you stories. Their expectations that they are right with God is based on something other than what the message is, which is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is what John was preaching, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for sins, uh, for the forgiveness, I should say, of sins. Sometimes people's expectations that they are already right with God is based on something other than what is required to, or in order to truly be right with him. Namely, again, repentance, an awareness of sin and an appropriate brokenness and sorrow over and for that sin. A desire for and a pleading with God for what? Forgiveness. Now, a lot of people standing around John the Baptist in their immediate understanding and awareness wouldn't have thought for a second they needed to ask for forgiveness. They were, after all, Israelites. And so for them to respond to John's message was their response to the gospel call, which is repent and find forgiveness in God. And I note for you today, it wasn't just a little repentance. 
It's called the baptism of repentance. Have you ever wondered what that really means? We, this word baptize, we'll not go into a lesson here on language, but it's an anglicized word. There was no English equivalent. They just pulled it over and they turned it into an English word. It means immerse. That's what it means to immerse. So we're not talking about feeling a little sorry for sin, are we? Because to phrase it in the way that would be a tr just, a, just a raw translation, what was John's message? The immersion of repentance. Fully, fully immersed in repentance. Not, yeah, boy, I'm a little sorry about that. Sorry. No. A brokenness that leads to repentance. True and sincere repentance. This is the baptism in repentance that John proclaimed in the gospel. And it's often, even yet today, unexpected. So many today don't expect that they will have to deal with their sin at all, much less be immersed in repentance to be right with God. But immersed in repentance to be right with God, they must be. They misunderstood the gospel as a result of their misaligned and misinformed expectations. And all of this led in verse 5 to an unexpected result. All the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Here is what I believe is likely a relatively up until now known preacher in an unexpected place, proclaiming an unexpected message and seeing unexpected results. I wonder how many people went out to John the Baptist with this attitude. I'm going to go see what this hubbub's all about. This guy, he's not going to convince me. I wonder how many people are in heaven today when they went to church that night or they were talking to somebody uh, about Christ and their attitude and their expectation initially was, you are never going to convince me. And they're walking the streets of gold right now because their expectations were shattered and they repented and they found Christ and they know him and they will forever know him. Please do not let your expectations build a wall between you and God. They can. And Satan is going to give you the shovel and the tools and the brick and the mortar to do it. And the world will and your own fallen nature will. Don't let those expectations come between you and God. The result of all of this was these people went and many went being baptized in the water, confessing their sins. People responded to the message despite all of its unexpected qualities. They were baptized, confessing their sins. They weren't hiding it. They confessed it. They weren't making excuses for it. They confessed it. They weren't feeling sorry for themselves over it. They confessed it. They were not holding on to it. They confessed it from people, people from all over and all over in many different places and all walks of life. Important businessmen to the unemployed, the mother taking care of her children, the old, the young, the middle-aged, people with seemingly much to lose and people with maybe in our own estimation little to lose. But they all went out to John the Baptist and many of them went to the river and were baptized, confessing their sin 
abandoning their earthly hopes, the eyes of their spiritual eyes uh, wiped away from the false expectations and wrong expectations that have been built up maybe over years and years and years and experience after experience after experience. Finally, God through the Holy Spirit comes and he knocks over the wall of expectation. And the only thing that's between you and God at that point is Christ. And you play, you cling to him. You put your trust in him. He forgives you. You find peace and hope in your heart with God. And you go down to the waters as well, confessing your sin. It's a beautiful picture. But it's often unexpected. The gospel comes to us, as we've said, unexpected place, unexpected messenger with an unexpected message and often unexpected results. Please, I beg you as we close to not let your expectations of God cause you to miss him. But the sad truth is that many, and biblically speaking to say it, most missed Christ while he was here and miss him yet today because their expectations have blinded them to Christ. I hope that you will not be like Israel in this regard. I hope that a way has been prepared here today for you to come to God and for him to speak to you, perhaps in an unexpected place. Maybe you did not expect God to come here today as he has. I hope that you did, but if you didn't, maybe he has, though, even yet, despite your expectations, and you find yourself now, right now, standing before him. Not physically, but more real, spiritually. And it's just you and him. And maybe you didn't expect him to come, but he has. And he's he has a word for you, and he has spoken it. And maybe you didn't expect this messenger to have anything of value to say today. And if it were just me... I would second your thought, but I pray it's been God's word and the Holy Spirit. Sure, an unexpected messenger, the weakest among us. But somehow God used that one. And he spoke to me. And now now it doesn't matter where I am or who has told me, it's me and God. And and those things, I'm aware of them, but but they just fade into just, nothingness in my mind and heart because after all I'm standing before God maybe you didn't expect God to do that but he is and maybe you didn't expect to hear the message that you heard today but you did you did not expect God to say what he has said but he has said it and now you understand you did not expect God to use perhaps me as he has today if he has indeed But he has, and now you have heard. You did not expect him to come here today, but he has, I pray, and you find yourself standing before him. I don't know what your expectations were when you came, but I hope if they are like most expectations and misinformed, that those expectations have been let go and that you will meet with, hear, and understand what God is telling you today. That you will do so uh, now. You'll not put it off. And you'll do as they did in the, in the days of John the Baptist. Confess your sin, be baptized, become a follower of Christ, despite yours and anyone else's expectations, because the gospel is unexpected. In many ways, it was unexpected then, and it remains that today. If God's working in your heart, I beg you to respond to whatever it is 
that he is leading you to do or to say. Let's have some. <laughs> 